Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Monday edition of PFT PM. A couple hours ago, I thought, ah, there's really nothing to talk about today. We'll just do it Tuesday. On Tuesday, we're going to have Zach Taylor, the new Bengals head coach. So, I was going to be lazy. I was going to not do it. And then a couple of things happened that caused me to say, well, can't be lazy today. Can't look the other way today. Too many things to talk about now. Things that have happened since we signed off of PFT Live earlier today. Boy, it feels like a long time ago. We did three hours of radio only. We're back on NBCSN tomorrow. And Chris Sims is out all week. He is on vacation at a disclosed location, sampling the local agriculture. Big Cat will be with me on Thursday, but we are loading up the days with interviews. I think tomorrow we're going to have the old ball coach on, the coach of the Orlando Apollos, Steve Spurrier. I think we're going to have Washington tight end Vernon Davis on. And I think Tony Dungy, Hall of Fame head coach, may have heard of him. He's going to join us as well. That's tomorrow's PFT Live. For now, PFT PM. And the big story in the NFL, it's a little surprise. The decision of the Cleveland Browns, out of the blue. Nobody got the five-minute heads up. Sorry, Shefty. You're going to have to wait for the next win. You haven't sucked up enough to the Browns to get the five-minute heads up on this one. Browns announce on their own that Kareem Hunt is now a member of of the active roster. Cleveland native. Guy who got in trouble in Cleveland. Most importantly, guy who is now reunited with the GM who drafted Hunt in 2017 in Kansas City, John Dorsey. Presiding over the draft that year. Fired not long after the draft. Hired in late 2017 by the Browns. Now bringing Kareem Hunt home. Don't know what it means for Nick Chubb because we still don't know what it means for Kareem Hunt as it relates to what is coming by way of a league suspension. If they wanted to, they could boot him out for the whole year. Between the video that emerged, between the other incident that there isn't any video of yet, that one involved a man who was allegedly assaulted by Kareem Hunt. That was from last June or so. If they really want to, they can shut him down for the year. And I don't know that the Browns know anything. I think the Browns just decided, you know what? One of these other teams is going to jump on Kareem Hunt, whether it's the Bears, where Matt Nagy, the former Chiefs offensive coordinator, is the head coach. There's a lot of noise about that. We better just do this now. We better get this done. They swooped in. They got it done. Didn't want to give anyone a chance to call and try to change Hunt's mind. I think that's one of the reasons why Shefty didn't get his five-minute heads up. Oh, I bet he's pissed. And it's funny, pay attention to the nuances. And this is a small detail, and I know it may sound petty, but I often see this, and I saw it both from 
Ian Rappaport, and from Shefty today. When the team announces it, sometimes the insider who didn't get a chance to break the story five minutes before it was announced will just tweet, Browns have signed Kareem Hunt, creating the impression. And they know what they're doing. Oh, they know. Creates the impression they're breaking the news. No. The team announced it. The right thing to do in that situation is either to retweet the team announcement like we did or say, Browns announce that they've signed Kareem Hunt. It's just one of those little inside baseball or inside football insider things that you should keep an eye on. Oh, you get scooped by the subject of your reporting. God forbid that any of these teams actually break their own news without handing it five minutes in advance to either the NFL's media conglomerate or Shefty. That's pretty much what it comes down to. And I don't even try to get that stuff anymore. You know why? Having the relationships in place necessary to get the five-minute heads up compromises your ability to say what needs to be said. Now, the NFL media reporters are already compromised because their check is signed by Roger Goodell. Oh, no, they're going to be mad at me for saying it again. Oh, how will I ever function? Oh, no. But Shefty's compromised because, and I still haven't seen the HBO Real Sports interview. It came out Super Bowl week where Shefty makes it clear he's got this unhealthy obsession with breaking news. And I know the business enough to spot the breadcrumbs, to know when a story is put out there as a way to enhance a relationship that will ensure further five-minute heads-ups or potentially repair a relationship that may be damaged because of another scoop that was handed to him that may have pissed someone else off. Oh, it's it's fascinating from my perspective. I, I know from most people's perspective, it is right on par with watching Cement Cure, but I, I, I kinda, I'm kind of interested in that. Because as I've said time and again, and this is one of the bad things about doing this podcast, I really don't have much of a plan, so I just talk. What was I going to say? That's part of the problem, too. You lose your train of thought when you're trying to set up a good point. It was going to be a great point. It was going to be a great point. And because I tried to set it up, it just gone. Anyway. Kareem Hunt, now a member of the Cleveland Browns. Kareem Hunt is extremely grateful for the opportunity. And look, I'm not interested in anything that the guy is going to say in a written statement. I wasn't real impressed with his interview that was done. Remember that? The Lisa Salter interview? Lisa Salter's, I'm sorry, interview right after Kareem Hunt was released by the Chiefs. But see, here's what will happen. There will be a suspension, and Hunt will, if the NFL does what it does in other cases, they will allow Hunt to participate in the offseason program, training camp, preseason, and then right after the fourth preseason game, he'll be exiled for however long it is. Four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, ten weeks, who knows. If it's full season, then they just put a pin in this contract for a year, and next year he's under contract with the Browns. So, if he hasn't played, I, I can't remember what he, how many games he has to play to actually satisfy the year of the contract. It's a one-year deal. If he's suspended 12 games and is only available for four, 
I don't know what that does for next year. I think if he only plays in four games, he's got to play in six games to the Brown. This was brilliant by the Browns. I have to write this. Okay. Let me try to explain this better than I have. Hunt has two years of service. If he plays in six games this year, he will trigger his third year of service and he will be eligible for restricted free agency. If he plays in fewer than six games this year, next year he'll be an exclusive rights free agent. The Browns know this well. They've been down this road with Josh Gordon. So the Browns are either going to control Kareem Hunt's rights via restricted free agency, or he's going to be a non-free agent via the exclusive rights free agency process. Or if he gets suspended for the full year, He's under contract with the Browns next year for a full season. So either way, they're going to get they're going to get that year out of him. They may get a year and a little bit more, but they're going to get that year, and then they're going to have the restricted free agency tender, and then he'll be eligible for unrestricted free agency after that. And who knows how he's going to perform? He led the NFL in rushing in 2017, but they do have Nick Chubb. I don't know what this means for Nick Chubb. I'm sure Nick Chubb wonders what the hell is going on here. Just like Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen would have wondered what the hell is going on if Kareem Hunt had signed with the Bears. And I'm sure that there are people out there who are wondering what the hell is going on when we see that Hunt gets his second chance, but Colin Kaepernick continues to be shunned by the NFL. Eric Reed, who re-signed with the Panthers today, acknowledged in comments to The Athletic that he doesn't believe Colin Kaepernick is ever going to be signed again, and he's probably right. Colin Kaepernick may win his collusion case, and that is going to play out over the course of this year, but he may never play in the NFL again. And I assume Kaepernick has come to terms with that. It really is amazing to me that no one will offer this guy an opportunity to compete. No one will offer him a workout, a tryout. No one will give him a chance to do anything. And I understand that once, on top of everything else, you poke the bear by suing the bear, it becomes, as a practical matter, impossible to do business, even though that shouldn't be a consideration. Eric Reed's under contract, and he's got the same claim that Kaepernick does. So none of it really makes a whole lot of sense. We've got multiple items at PFT looking at the Kareem Hunt situation, what it means for Chubb, what it means for him, his statement, John Dorsey's statement, et cetera, et cetera. John Gruden's son, no, Jay Gruden, not John Gruden, get that right. Jay Gruden's son, Jack, was arrested early Saturday, charged with being drunk in public after multiple confrontations. Now, Jay Gruden once was arrested for DUI, didn't stop Washington from making him an NFL head coach, didn't stop the Bengals from making him an offensive coordinator. I mean, there was a long period of time where Jay Gruden was kind of out there and available, and nobody took him all that seriously. Then all of a sudden, boom, he's the Bengals' offensive coordinator. Then after a few years, bang, he's the Washington head coach. Binge drinking is part of life in the NFL, just is, just like nepotism is. These guys work hard and play harder. Scott and Combine coming up in a couple of weeks. Guys will be drunk all over the place. Every night. Drunk, 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 drunk. Big frat party for the whole week in Indianapolis. We talked about nepotism earlier today 
on PFT Live in relation to the Jets because Joe Vitt, the father-in-law of Adam Gase, is on the staff. Greg Williams is on the staff. Williams and Vitt have a history dating back to Bounty Gate where Vic testified, Vitt, not Vic, Vitt testified in a way that was just kind of over the top, like, oh, my God, the next time these two run into each other, there's going to be a rumble. Now they're working together. And Blake Williams, son of Greg Williams, also on the staff. But what I've been told about nepotism, I'll go ahead and repeat this in the event that you didn't hear PFT Live, or if you did, maybe if you hear it a second time, you'll remember. And maybe I'll remember the next time that I plan to discuss it because I, I know that it comes and goes for me. But because these coaches are gone for so much of the time that their kids are growing up, when their kids grow up, the attraction is bring them to work, then you get to spend all day every day with them. Whether or not there's any merit to that, I'm surprised a lot of these kids want to get into coaching after dad's been gone. Although I'm sure dad becomes kind of like this deity, this figure that just kind of swoops in and out of the house and, and is on TV. You turn on the TV, there's dad. He's coaching the team. Or he's, you know, he's in the business and you see him on the sideline during the games. And it's this mysterious thing that all the kids care about. And it's good when you're winning. It's not so good when you're losing. But a lot of kids get drawn into the business. It, it does beat real jobs, but you work a hell of a lot harder than most jobs once you sign on for an NFL team as a coach in any capacity. Chris Sims tells that story. He did it for a year or so in New England, decided, I, I, you know, I want to see my, my family. I don't want to live like this. Kyler Murray, that was the story that caused me to say I better do the PFTPM podcast today. He says he's fully committed to football. Here is his statement. Released where else on Twitter. Moving forward, I am firmly and fully committing my life and time to becoming an NFL quarterback. Football has been my love and passion my entire life. I was raised to play quarterback and I very much look forward to dedicating 100% of myself to being the best quarterback possible and winning NFL championships. I have started an extensive training program to further prepare myself for upcoming NFL workouts and interviews. I eagerly await the opportunity to continue to prove to NFL decision makers that I am the franchise quarterback in this draft. The franchise quarterback in this draft. Not A, the. couple of points. Why did he go to Atlanta and tease everyone with these vague responses. Now, he told me when we met with him, and I appreciate being included on the tour that was done on behalf of Mizzen and Maine, his first endorser. He he said he'd like to play both, baseball and football. He said a decision was coming soon. I got the impression the decision was already made, and for whatever reason, they were waiting to announce it. And I continue to have this belief that he wants to convince the NFL that he's all in, even if maybe he isn't. You can say you're all in, and you get drafted by someone in some round, and then you can pull the ripcord on the baseball parachute. Circumstances have changed. I thought I was fully committed to football, but now I realize football isn't fully committed to me. I disagree with the assessment of the collective 32 NFL teams. I believe that my talents would have justified a draft position much higher. He says 
He eagerly awaits the opportunity to continue to prove to NFL decision makers that I am the franchise quarterback in this draft. The, not A, the. How do you sufficiently obliterate the bridge back to baseball to get teams and ultimately one team sufficiently comfortable to say we are using a first-round pick on Kyler Murray? How do you do it? The higher the pick, the greater the risk. Now, the higher the pick, the greater the likelihood he will sign a contract. But even then, what assurance do you have? other than someone's word. And what was the word of his agent right after the Heisman Trophy? Scott Boris. He's playing baseball. Okay. That was not that was not useful. And anything other than firing Boris on the spot it raises questions. I don't want to be damn sure this guy's signing a contract. That's why I've said he needs to hire an NFL agent who has the relationships in place who can convince these decision makers, yes, he will sign a contract. You want that one last call that's made before his name is put on a draft card? Hey, are we sure this guy's all in for football? Yes, he is. Send me the contract now. He'll sign it. Standard terms for his slot. Pick one, pick 10, pick 15, pick 20, whatever it is. He's all in. I'd want to know that before I put his name on the card. And you have to wonder... Is the lure of a franchise quarterback great enough to get you to take the risk on being Bo Jackson? On drafting a guy who doesn't play for you ever? I just think that until he engages in the actions necessary to convince NFL decision makers that baseball is done, I just don't know what he can do. I remember thinking when Jameis Winston came to the NFL, if he hits enough adversity, he'll just say, screw it, I'll go try to be a middle reliever. I can always throw a baseball. I mean, Tim Tebow waited until he was almost 30 to find his way back to baseball. Murray was a top 10 pick of the A's. I just, and and I, I want to be fair to the kid, but this situation was not properly handled by the people around him. Scott Boris blew it. Back in November, if Scott Boris comes out after Kyler Murray wins the Heisman, Scott Boris says, yes, Kyler Murray is going to the NFL. He's done with baseball. You can believe that. Now it's complicated, and now there's risk. And if you're the general manager who signs off on drafting this guy, and he says, well, I think I'll play baseball instead you got to answer some tough questions for your owner. And this guy's going to go to the scouting combine now. How's he going to hold up in these interviews? We saw the awkward session with Dan Patrick. How's he going to hold up when the 15-minute speed dating rounds start? Is he going to hold up? He didn't hold up well in that interview with Dan. Here's the other thing, too, and I, I want to be fair to Kyler Murray because I've heard feedback from people in the league suggesting once they looked at his film, he's going to be great. He's short, and he's not just short, he's small. Russell Wilson is short, but Russell Wilson is not small. Kyler Murray is short and slight, and I look at his frame and I say, can he pack on the musculature necessary to be an NFL quarterback who can withstand the hits that he's going to take because he's going to take hits? Can he do it? 
I'd almost be half tempted if I were Kyler Murray to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm not going to go through the scouting combine pro day process. I'm just going to go sign with the AAF right now. And I'm going to go show these people that I can play at an NFL level against almost NFL caliber competition. I wonder when a guy is going to do that. When a guy's going to say, I'd rather play football for the next 10 weeks, week in and week out, than participate in the Underwear Olympics, do these meaningless pro day workouts. I want to show you that I can get it done. I don't know that anybody will ever do it. Murray likely won't or already would be doing it. I just would have a concern. And it would be the pros and cons. Remember when Walter White was considering whether or not he was going to he was going to kill Crazy 8. Pros and cons on the yellow legal pad. I'd be listing pros and cons. Pro could be a franchise quarterback. Pro, we need a franchise quarterback. Pro, he's got a great arm. Pro, he won the Heisman. He's in that Baker Mayfield lineage. Baker Mayfield tried to call him three times when I was sitting with him at the Super Bowl. Pro, very elusive. Between his arm skills and his skills with his legs, he could be a dual-threat quarterback that could be potentially better than Lamar Jackson, depending upon how his speed and elusiveness translates to the next level. Cons, he's short. Cons, he's small. Cons, he's got a pipeline back to baseball that he could decide to exploit anytime he wants. I better put something in the contract if he signs it that says no baseball. Can't leave. Can't you are committed to this contract. You aren't leaving. Still plenty of risk. But the reward is great if you get yourself a franchise quarterback. And there are plenty of teams out there. I need to do a post of the teams that would be interested. Let's just do this now. I've got my record and fact book here and I always flip open the front cover because it's got the logos and the names of all teams separated by division. Let's do this right now. Bills, they have their guy. Dolphins, they're at 13. I'd put them down for a maybe. Patriots, definitely. Does he last long enough for the Patriots or they have to trade up? Jets, no. So there's two. Dolphins, Patriots. Ravens, no. Bengals, maybe. They have Andy Dalton. They say they're committed to him, but maybe. Browns, no. Steelers, that would be a shock if they do it. I'd be shocked if they do it. And that may be one where, you know what, if the Steelers draft him, but they have Ben Roethlisberger for who knows how long. That may be one where Murray says, nah, nah, baseball. Texans, no. Colts, no. Jaguars, yes. Titans, <laughs> Titans have to make a long-term decision about Marcus Mariota. I don't know that drafting Kyler Murray is the way around keeping Marcus Mariota. Broncos, they're in the market. Chiefs, no. Chargers, maybe. Raiders, intriguing. Three first-round picks, there was a report not long ago that some think the Raiders are going to use one of those first-round picks on a quarterback, keep Derek Carr for a year, and then go with the youngster, so maybe. Cowboys, no. Giants, maybe. Eagles, no. Washington, maybe. Maybe slash yes. It's going to be hard for Washington to sign a Joe Flacco type and spend a lot of money when you've got a lot of money tied up in Alex Smith, so yes. Bears, no. Lions, no. Packers, no. Vikings, intriguing. 
because they only have Cousins under contract for two more years. And that money's fully guaranteed. Be hard to pull it off. Falcons, no. Panthers, <laughs> Cam Newton's got two years left under contract. He's had the shoulder surgery. Who knows? Saints, <laughs> there's talk of Taysom Hill being the successor to Drew Brees. What about kind of a thunder and lightning competition there or situation where you've got Murray and Hill? Use them both. I don't know how Murray would feel about that. Of course, you wouldn't tell him that. Hey, you're a quarterback. Taysom Hill just plays sometimes. Okay, half the time. Buccaneers, probably not. They seem to be all in with Jameis Winston. That would be one hell of a distraction. Cardinals, well, we've already been down this rabbit hole with Cliff Kingsbury saying last October if he had the first pick in the draft, he'd take Kyler Murray. Now he's got Josh Rosen. He could take Kyler Murray and trade Josh Rosen. There are some Patriots fans that are paying attention to that. Rams, I'm, I'm not going to go down that path. Jared Goff's under contract for another year. They'll probably pick up well, most likely we'll pick up the fifth-year option. I don't know what they do after that, but that's Murray on the bench for two years. 49ers, they're committed to Garoppolo, at least for now, and they've got Nick Mullins. Seahawks, no. So, you know, there's, I don't know, half the league. Was that half the league? A little less than half the league that would be in play? I'll write that up and, and give more thought to it and, and articulate all the factors. That'll be my project for tonight. But uh, a lot of issues with Murray, a lot of intrigue there. A lot of intrigue with the Jets. I mentioned them earlier in the nepotism context. Hard Knocks wants the Jets, but I'm told there's no way in hell the Jets are going to do it. And this story that came out today with Brian Hoyer picking up things from Amazon's All or Nothing, just in the little snippet that had Sean McVay at the start of the 2017 season, I believe it was, after Jeff Fisher was fired. And things that were said by Sean McVay and Jared Goff and Peyton Manning breaking down Jared Goff and that that gave the Patriots everything they needed to allow Brian Hoyer, who played in the Mike Sh- or Kyle Shanahan system, and there's connections between Shanahan and McVay. McVay worked for Shanahan in Washington, but it allowed Hoyer and the Patriots to really put together the best plan for stopping Jared Goff. You don't want to put anything out there. This is why Bill Belichick will never do hard knocks. Because anything you say will be used against you. And even if it's not some secret that falls out of your mouth while you're on camera, but just a tapestry that's created, a context that's created that, that otherwise no one would have. That, that's the worst development that's ever happened for Hard Knocks. Now, there's always going to be an owner that wants to do it. There's always going to be a coach that, eh, we'll be all right. And the NFL is committed, I don't know how many years into the future, to doing hard knocks. But the smart teams, the best teams, are never going to want to do it. They weren't going to want to do it in the first place. Now they definitely don't want to do it. Because anything you say will be used against you. And this Hoyer example is the primary proof that it can all catch up with you at the worst possible time in the biggest possible spot. And the greatest show-offs on turf get held to three points. Looking through the other developments from the day, we spent a lot of time talking about the Alliance of American Football during the show today. Interesting to see how that all plays out going forward. I've said they need to have stars. And I still believe that. And I don't know how long it's going to take for them to cultivate their own stars. With only 10 weeks of four games per week, I don't know. 
but they need to go out and find some star players. I don't know why they haven't just offered something to Colin Kaepernick. The base deal he wouldn't take. But when you consider dollars and cents, pros and cons, cost and benefit, the money you put in versus the money you get out, how much money could you get by having Colin Kaepernick associated with the league? Now, the problem is that the AAF seems to be very committed to having the best possible relationship with the NFL. And chances are the NFL, well, not, I mean, we, we, we know the drill. But it's, it's going to be hard for the AAF to thrive over the long haul unless it acquires stars or develops stars quickly. And I just don't know that there's enough reps, that there's enough games, that there's enough opportunities to develop stars. When it gets cold out there, your vehicle needs some extra attention. O'Reilly Auto Parts has everything you need to keep your vehicle toasty warm. From choosing the right antifreeze for your engine to replacing your windshield wiper blades, O'Reilly will help get your car or truck in fighting shape for the cold weather. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. All right, I think I've checked all the boxes I need to check. Let us consider the questions that may be out there. And this is the point where I buy time while I while I find the tweet where we ask for questions. I'm scrolling. Here it is. 38 today. I don't know that I'm going to get to all of them. Let's begin. PFTPM Posse. Shouldn't Sean McVay and the Rams spend all offseason with Jared Goff doing nothing but studying defensive looks and other things that McVay is relaying to him before the 15-second cutoff? Dustin Lowmiller responds by saying, are they even allowed to communicate about football in the offseason? They're not allowed to communicate until the offseason program begins in April. Now, I've said before that it would be naive to think that coaches and quarterbacks don't find ways to communicate how aggressively is the NFL policing it? It benefits the quarterback. The quarterback is all in. The quarterback is a year-round obsession. And I can't remember what it was on the podcast last week or PFT Live, but I've said, look, it's simple. The quarterback goes on vacation in Miami. The coach goes on vacation in Fort Lauderdale. They rent a room halfway in between. They meet there every day, watch film all day study playbook all day, communicate all day. It'd be a little risky to like go out to a practice field and throw. But even then, if you're if you're smart about it, you could you could find you could find a place where you could work on mechanics and whatnot at, at a minimum at an indoor facility. It's a big country. There's a lot of places these guys could go to defy the rules. And you justify it by saying, ah, you know what, everybody else is doing it too. And if not breaking this rule, they're breaking other rules. So we're just trying to keep up with everyone else. And if we honor these rules, we're going to be at a competitive disadvantage because everybody's cheating in some way. But that, that's the better approach to the never-ending belief that the Patriots cheat. Hey, okay, maybe they do. But you know what? So does everybody else. Cheat better. Cheat more effectively. Don't worry about blowing the whistle on somebody because everybody's breaking the rules in one way or another. Sergio D, what's the latest on the Eric Reed drug saga? I I think that what's happening is Eric Reed's lawyers are 
trying to build their case gradually and systematically that there's something fishy that transpired as it relates to the number of times he was selected randomly, air quotes, randomly for PED testing. That at some point there may be a grievance, there may be some formal challenge, it may be part of the collusion case, it may be a separate issue altogether. I, I just remember early on in the process when the, the arguments were being made by Reed from his locker after games that he was being tested more times than he claimed, hey, do something about it. And then the league and the union do a study, joint study, that comes to the conclusion there was nothing out of the ordinary, and there were multiple reports that Reed actually exaggerated overstated the number of times he was tested that wasn't a good look we'll see where it goes from here it's not gone yet i think it's going to percolate behind the scenes for a while and it could explode at some point all right uh next question at the kremlin one any big news today uh yeah we've, we've, already, we've already addressed all that at Gigi McDonald, who do you think the top free agents will be? Where do you see them going? Too early for that. I'm sorry. I haven't thought about that yet. We'll pivot to that after the scouting combine. We'll have a list of the top 100 free agents. Tank Lawrence is going to be at the top of the stack. I'm intrigued by whether or not he'll do the Le'Veon Bell and sit out the whole year. He'd be walking away from $20 million for 2019 if he did that. But the one thing we learned from Le'Veon Bell last year, if you sit out the whole year when you're tagged the second time, the third franchise tag is quarterback money, and the team is not going to franchise tag you the third time. Le'Veon Bell is the other big name, obviously. I still think the Jets are going to make a play for him, but I don't know how Adam Gase feels about plunking down a ton of money for a running back. Then again, it may not be his decision. It may be an ownership call that they want to sell tickets. So many of the decisions made on the first day of free agency aren't about football. Football is incidental to the desire to maximize revenue. By creating excitement, generating interest, driving ticket sales, etc. But we'll have the full top 100 that gets posted not long before the start of free agency. It's not an easy thing to do. I think Shereen Williams did it last year, and I appreciate the effort. It is not an easy thing to do, and it's apples and oranges. And but but we'll have them all out there, and we'll update it as. Uh, as the, the folks are re-signed, as the case may be, or signed once they become free agents. Another one from Gigi McDonald. Why do you think the Browns signed Kareem Hunt when they have Nick Chubb? I, I think that the Browns believe that Kareem Hunt is another class over and above Nick Chubb, even though Chubb, when he finally got opportunities, did well last year. And maybe the Browns are thinking, you know what, it can't hurt to have as many good football players as possible. You get a running back injured, you get another guy ready to go. And John Dorsey has a soft spot for Kareem Hunt. He took a chance on him with a third-round pick in 2017, and he led the NFL in rushing. Now, that was after Dorsey had been fired, but it vindicates and validates the decision to draft Kareem Hunt. So, um, And you get him at a good price. You want to get as many good football players as possible at the lowest possible price. And if you can get Kareem Hunt for roughly a million dollars, I saw that with incentives, I think Ian Rappaport had this, with incentives, it's roughly a million for one year. You don't say no to that, I guess, as long as you're as long as you're okay with whatever the local backlash is going to be. But right now, the Browns are riding that wave where, you know, their fans are so thrilled the team is relevant, they're going to be more inclined to look the other way. 
Uh, one more from Gigi McDonald. Does Kareem Hunt being signed indicate that the Browns know what his punishment will be? Why do you think they signed him now? I think they signed him now because they were afraid somebody else was going to. The league typically does not disclose punishment before they announce the punishment. They just announce the punishment when the punishment is ready. Now, it's possible the Browns have some sources at the league office that that allowed them to make an educated guess as to what the punishment's going to be, but I, I don't think they know. J. Randall, 15, you called out Julian Edelman this morning. Any idea why your coworker didn't when he was lied to? Well, Peter King did call him out. Peter King called out Julian Edelman in a more subtle way than I did. Peter King pointed out that Julian Edelman could have indeed commented on any and all aspects of his PED violation just by way of refreshing everyone's memory or or getting you up to speed if you didn't hear what we said or see the post earlier today on PFT when Peter King interviewed Julian Edelman and asked him about the PED suspension Edelman said that under league rule he can't talk about it and that's incorrect and Peter pointed that out Peter was more tactful about it than I was And I ultimately, and this was fueled by a question someone asked later in the show, I ultimately allowed for the possibility that maybe, just maybe, Julian Edelman was told by the Patriots to not talk about it. Julian Edelman, like so many of the other Patriots, is programmed to do whatever the Patriots tell them to do. And he decided that he was willing to allow himself to come off as being dishonest about what he can and can't say by way of league rules to not say and to avoid saying the Patriots told me to not talk about it. Maybe the Patriots said don't talk about it and also don't say we told you not to talk about it. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but the Patriots have that hold on on their players and coaches and the agents who represent the players who may sign with the Patriots. It's amazing. It's what those six pelts on the wall and or the horse can do. Give you a lot of power over everyone. Buffalo Guy 83, would NBC ever broadcast Sunday night AAF games if they were asked to? Look, I, I don't know who would ask them to do it. Sunday night's a fairly significant night to program a sporting event that people may or may not watch. I don't know anything about the negotiations that led to the AAF being on CBS and CBS Sports Network and NFL Network, so I don't, I don't, I don't know anything about that. Would you and Sims like to be in the broadcast booth if it ever happened? I think it'd be fun to do a game. I think it'd be fun to do a game with someone who's a friend of mine. The AAF though take a lot of work. Have to figure out who these guys are. Hey, number twenty-three has the ball. Oh, now number twelve has the ball. Number twelve's throwing at number eighty. Who's that guy? I don't know, and neither do you. Buffalo guy, 83, will Stats ever get any kind of promotion? What would he be promoted to? He produces the show. That's his job. I don't know what the promotion would be. Please, next time I call for questions, Buffalo guy, 83, let me know what let me know what job you're communicating or suggesting that he take and also prove that you're not a Stats burner account. No help for me now that Kyler Murray is all in on football. Does his draft stock instantly rise? Where do you project him being picked? I already kind of went down that path. I I, I think some teams are not going to believe that he's all in with football. Uh, as long as there is a reasonable rip line back to or zip line or, I don't know, tip line, I'll keep just throwing out words that rhyme with ip line until I get the right one. Until <laughs> Until there's not an escape hatch to baseball, I'd still have concerns.
do you think the Cowboys finally go after Earl Thomas? Yeah, but you know what? A lot of times the the, the moves that we think are going to be most obvious are the ones that don't happen. Frank Chavawi, what ideas do you have to fix the NFL draft? Oh, you don't want to start me on that. I've become convinced that the NFL draft is un-American. It took, a several, it took several years for me to get there. And, and it came from an argument that Jeffrey Kessler made during the lockout. When the NFL locked out the players, the players shut down the union. So at that point, see, when the union goes away, the NFL loses its antitrust exemption that arises from a multi-employer bargaining unit. As it exists, you got 32 different companies that come together. It's a unique workforce, and they all can band together for the purposes of collective bargaining. Once the union shuts down, that goes away. So the argument is, at that point, you're just 32 separate businesses hiring employees. And if you come together in any way, shape, or form to have collective rules on how the workforces will be constructed, you are committing antitrust violations. A draft is an antitrust violation in the absence of a multi-employer collective bargaining unit and the antitrust exemption that goes along with it. Minimum salaries are an antitrust violation. Guys should be able to get paid whatever they're able to negotiate. A salary cap is an antitrust violation. Everything that would would dictate how 32 teams would gather, sign, pay employees is an antitrust violation. And Kessler argued that the draft is an antitrust violation, and it is. If these truly are 32 separate businesses, players should be able to decide who they want to go play for. I'm from Pittsburgh. I grew up in Pittsburgh. I played at Pitt. I want to play for the Steelers. The Steelers want me, but they're too low in the draft pecking order to sign me. I want to work for them. They want me to work for them. Can't do it. Why not? I grew up in Florida. I don't want to live in Seattle. Seattle drafted me. It's an honor and a privilege to be drafted. No, it's not. It's amazing what they've done to brainwash these kids into thinking that it is an honor and a privilege. It really is. It's not. But, you know, the shiny lights and the big crowds and the the show about nothing, which is what the draft is at this point, it's a show about nothing. They don't need to have the draft. They don't need to to, to go on this traveling Barnum and Bailey type show where you trot these guys out and they give the commissioner a hug and all everybody's excited. They could do it electronically. It's the ultimate low tech process at a time when you just text in. I mean, think about it. Think about it. It's a, it's a 32 person, well, 33 group text. And someone from the NFL says, okay, the Browns are on the clock. You have 10 minutes. And within 10 minutes, the Browns communicate their response. And it instantaneously goes to everyone. Okay, the Bengals are on the clock. And the Bengals rep, within 10 minutes, types the name and hits send. And it goes to everyone. But they have this convoluted procedure now. And they've, they've never modernized it because they've created this show around it. And it's not an honor to be drafted. It's not. It would be an honor and a privilege to be able to pick your employer. Well, how would you avoid the Cowboys gobbling up all the great prospects? Well, you do it through the salary cap. You do it through a rookie salary cap. They already have a rookie salary cap. 
that allocates money based upon where your picks are. So you make only so much money available. That's how you address the disparity from the best team to the worst team. You give the best team more money to sign rookies. You give the worst team less money. Or wait, you get the the best team gets, you know what I mean. The best team gets less money. The worst team gets more money, the most money. That's how you do it. Also, what was my other point? Oh, I've argued in the past that the way they should do it is that the team that finishes, that wins the Super Bowl should get the first pick. That, that there's really no correlation between where you draft and whether or not a bad team is suddenly going to become a good team. And the NFL should have an interest in giving the best teams dibs on the best players coming out of college. They've earned that right. Why isn't that one of the spoils of victory? Why is this whole system propped up to help the crap teams? Think about it. A lot of talk about socialism in the country right now. The NFL has a lot of socialist tendencies from the standpoint of dividing money. Money gets split regardless of which team is bringing the most value to the table. To the concept that they're going to do everything they can to prop up the worst. Worst team gets dibs. Worst team gets dibs on on waivers claims throughout the entire offseason. The Cardinals are going to sit there and they're going to pick and choose who they want. The thing is, I don't know that it allows bad teams. I don't know that that is what causes bad teams to break the cycle of being bad. I believe in complete and total freedom, lack of any restrictions. Let the, and, you know, I, I say this every year when the trade deadline comes around. Why is there a deadline? Why are we protecting these, these supposedly independent businesses from conducting business anytime they want? So I understand there are unique aspects of this business because there are only 32 branches of the tree but they are independent businesses remember that that was it the american needle case it was that big antitrust case that was decided a couple of years before the lockout and the nfl lost that case and that's what laid the foundation for all of these arguments that they are 32 separate businesses and they should be treated as such and the players should be able to pick which business they want to work for Paul Fitz, dose, dose. I thought the Bergovici hit was a textbook tackle of a quarterback in candidly what I like to see when I'm watching a game. If AA hits that are violent but not egregious resonate with fans, do you think it may cause the NFL to err on the side of not calling some borderline penalties? No, because the NFL believes that these head injuries, these you know, the helmet flying through the air is the thing that gets mom and dad to say little Jimmy isn't playing football. So they, they are more concerned about that now than ever because they're concerned about the future supply of football players. Another one from Paul Fitzdose-Dose. Is there a way NFL teams could send players to the AAF for development? If no, could a mechanism be negotiated the next CBA? If teams are able to share players with the AAF, would that have ramifications in the NFL's antitrust exemption? I mean, they could do something like that, and maybe the NFL buys the AAF at some point. They could come up with some sort of loose affiliation. Right now, if you're under contract with the NFL, or the AAF, excuse me, if you're under contract with the AAF, you stay with the AAF until the season ends, then you can sign with the NFL. If you're under contract with the NFL, you don't get loaned to the AAF. There are a bunch of guys who have signed futures contracts with the NFL, and they're part of the NFL right now. Even though they're not working, they're not playing, they'll be ready when the offseason program begins in April, a few weeks before the end of the AAF season. The Real Four No Biggest Takeaways from this weekend's AAF debut. I'll refer you to the PFT Live podcast from earlier today. We talked about it a lot throughout the three hours of the program. Number one, I'm interested. Number two, it's going to take star players to get me engaged, to get me to plan my weekend around 
watching AAF games. Number three, I'm concerned about AAF teams in cities that have NFL teams. We saw one of them this weekend, the Arizona Hotshots in Tempe, 10 miles away from Phoenix. They didn't even announce the attendance. That's how few were there. I'm concerned about the Atlanta Legends. Are they going to be able to get people to come in the town where the Falcons play? And the XFL, concerned about them. If I'm the XFL, I'm paying close attention to how Arizona and, and Atlanta do at the box office this year because seven of the eight XFL teams are in NFL cities. And there's this belief that, well, you know, there's already a built-in football fan base. They'll just pivot to the XFL. I'm not so sure they will. Because I think for some fans, it's like, we, we've we've done our thing, we've 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 supported our team. We we're moving on to other sports until it's time for football season, real football season. But I I think that it has potential. Whether or not it thrives depends on a lot of factors. And. Uh, We'll see where it goes from here. Nine more weeks in this regular season. And then playoffs. I want to see an overtime game. I want to see the onside kick. There's stuff that I want to see just out of curiosity. Once that curiosity is satisfied, I don't know that I'll be interested anymore. I want to be interested. And I'm I'm more interested through one week than I thought I was going to be. But as of right now... I, it feels like a burden to pay attention to it. It's not something that I'm like, oh, I, I have to go do it. Now, I don't want to say it's now. I don't want to say it's a burden. Burden's not the word. It's not yet a burden. When nothing else was going on Saturday night, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, I turned it on. It's kind of like background noise. It wasn't something that I felt compelled to change my plans to watch or to seek out to watch. It's not quite... It, it, if it was a burden, I just wouldn't do it. Because I'm not paid to cover the AAF. NBC doesn't pay me to cover the... You know, and I got into this business because I like the NFL. I like covering the NFL. I like talking about it. I like thinking about it. And there are aspects of the AAF that I find fascinating because they're generally applicable to anybody who would want to try to launch a football league in the spring. But am I actually interested in watching the games? For now, No except for I want to see overtime and I want to see this onside kick fourth and 12 thing. Other than that, it hasn't captured my interest yet. So we'll see. But there's a lot of questions about the AAF. I think you're interested in the AAF, and I think it's, you know, it's more at this point, I, I, I want to see where it goes, and I think you want to see where it goes. That doesn't mean you're invested in it. It doesn't mean you have a favorite team. I don't know. I don't have a favorite team yet. I was thinking Atlanta Legends until I got the shit kicked out of them by Orlando. Can you be an AAF bandwagon fan? I was leaning Atlanta, now I'm undecided. I like Birmingham's uniforms. It's kind of mean machine-ish. Caleb Sutherland, after this weekend of the AAF, do you think the NFL will review the new ideas that the AAF brought and put them in the agenda to be talked about as a possible rule change this offseason? I, I think that it will take some time. It at least puts the ideas out there. The NFL already exploring getting rid of the kickoff. Maybe 
the lack of any real negative reaction to not having a kickoff in the AAF is the thing that emboldened someone to stand up and say, we finally got rid of, got to get rid of the damn kickoff. It's just got to go. And I don't know how upset people would be. I just think the fourth and 12 play needs to be the default kickoff replacement all the time, not just when you qualify for the very specific occasions when you can use the onside kick replacement, that fourth and 12 play. Let's see what else is here. I should probably wrap this up. Been going for almost an hour. Scrolling, scrolling. Stop hanging out with Tom Arnold. I don't know what that means. Bob Lauga. Who's Tom Arnold? I don't know what that means. Uh, that's probably everything. I, I usually like to go out with... Uh, so let, let, me, let me keep looking. Let me see. Let me find a good one to end with if there is one. Mm-hmm. And I really am... I really am amazed how many questions there are about the AAF. Here's, here's one from Eric T. Sains. I saw this one last week and I didn't answer it. Should the NFL consider changing the Lombardi Trophy to the Belichick Trophy? I think stats raised that at one point. Would the NFL ever do that? They're not changing the name of the Lombardi Trophy. That is iconic. They'll find something else to name after Belichick, but they are not going to change the name of the Lombardi Trophy. It's no longer about Vince Lombardi. It's like the Stanley Cup. Who the hell knows who Lord Stanley is or was? You wouldn't be able to pick him out of a lineup. But it's the Stanley Cup. The name takes on its own significance. Lombardi Trophy has taken on its own significance. I don't know if you name the Coach of the Year award after Bill Belichick. I don't know what you do. Does Belichick deserve something beyond a bust in the Hall of Fame? Yes. Should he already have a bust in the Hall of Fame? Yes. At a minimum, should they dispense with the five-year waiting period whenever he retires? Absolutely. Brady and Belichick should go straight in. Straight in with no weight. And they should find something to name after him. Here's the problem when you name things after people. If this is a league that aspires to be around for 500 years, then you get to a point where there's a lot of stuff that's named after people that no one remembers. There'll be another Bill Belichick. I mean, the Walter Payton Man of the Year. I don't want to take anything away from Walter Payton, one of my all-time favorite players, but 100 years from now, if that's still the name of it, I mean, what do they do? Retired jerseys? It's a dangerous, dangerous thing for a league that aspires to be around for a long time. And I could see a hard reset at some point where they just say, all right, the NFL has been around now for 250 years. It's a new age for the NFL, and we are wiping all the names off of everything, and we are restoring all of the jersey numbers. We're sorry, but these people haven't been alive for multiple hundreds of years. We are going to change some things. Uh, Otherwise, how do you properly honor the great players who are still to come? I don't know how long they expected the NFL to hang around, but here's season 100. You can't be naming everything after someone. All right, got to wrap. We'll do this again tomorrow with Zach Taylor, the Bengals head coach, plus plenty more. Even though it's the offseason, as we saw today, you never know where the news is going to come from, and there will always be news, and we will be on top of it, both NFL and AAF variety, at least for now with the AAF. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. 
Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.